Trinity Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we are right now um, in the fifth week of a series on the book of First John that we've entitled In the Light. Uh, this is a, a series that's looking at this little book, 1 John, that John, who was one of the original followers of Christ, one of his original disciples, wrote to the congregations that he pastored. And he writes them this letter with the intention that they would follow Christ more deeply, more intimately in their life. John desired for his followers not merely that they would be Christian by name, not merely that they would have begun a relationship with Christ, Christ sometime in the past, but he writes them this letter that they might have an intimate daily fellowship with the Lord. And as people who gather today in Norman, Oklahoma in 2011, uh, we desire to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And so we are wise to look at this letter and to see the things that God is prompting us to see that would help us to understand how it is that, that we can have an intimate relationship with the Lord as believers in Christ as well. Um, and we've seen a number of things as we've walked through this series. We saw that this relationship, this intimate fellowship with the Lord is something that begins uh, in the light. It begins in confession and in the work of Christ and in obedience to specific truths that God is calling us to obey. Things like loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is something that is possible as we rely and abide upon the spirit that God has placed within us. We can actually resemble the Father's love towards others as we trust in Him. And then last week, we talked about how there are some things that seek to take away intimacy and fellowship with the Lord. There are certain temptations that are in this world's fair in which we live that we must be careful of. Uh, today, we're going to see another section of verses out of the book of 1 John um, from the end of chapter 2 through the beginning of chapter 3. Um, but before we look at those verses, I, I, I want to tell you guys a story. Um, tomorrow is August 1st. Can you believe that? It's already the month of August. And, uh, you know, August is a big month in the Robinson family because we have a lot of birthdays in the month of August. Uh, I was born in the month of August. My mom was born in the month of August. My dad was born in the month of August. As a matter of fact, my dad and I were born on the same day. Not the same year, that would be weird. But on the same day, my dad and I were born. Um, and as a matter of fact, my parents were having a party to celebrate my dad's birthday the night that I was born. Uh, I, I saw my folks this weekend. They were telling me this story. They, uh, my, my dad was out back flipping burgers. My mom was inside making some potato salad um, when suddenly I wanted to join the party. And uh, I began knocking on the door, and uh, my, my dad had to take my mom to the hospital uh, where I was born. I actually was born just like an hour, hour and a half after we got to the, after they got to the hospital. I mean, I, I was ready to get there. I would, did not want to be late to this party. Um, but what's funny is that when my dad took my mom to the hospital, the party just kept going on. You know, I mean, somebody had to eat those burgers. They'd already, you know, fried them all up, and they already had the potato salad, and they already had some stuff to drink, and all these friends were already gathered. And so they decided to stay and continue to party. Well, you know, uh, in, this, in this day, uh, you know, in age, 
people get into the hospital. I mean, it's like a drive-through now when you have a child. But back in the day, uh, people were in the hospital a little longer when they had a baby. And so it was a while before my parents returned to the house. And when they finally came back, you're really not going to believe what it was that they found back at the house. When my parents came home, and the party had continued to go on, and and the the people who were at the party did these very strange things. Um, They actually, at some point, we don't even know how this happened, but they knocked over the aquarium, and it just spilled out me dead fish, and, and they didn't even bother to clean it up. And then for some reason, they thought it would be really fun. I, I don't know who, I mean, why my parents have these friends, but they thought it'd be fun to teepee the house. They see the big tall trees, you know, northeast Oklahoma, big trees, toilet paper all on the top of them. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. You know, my, my, my sister, who was four at the time, nobody even bothered to take care of her. Um, she was just roaming the neighborhood uh, for a number of days. I mean, can you believe this? You shouldn't believe it, because there's no truth in it. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the party continued to go on, but, but this is what they did at the party. You know what? They cleaned up the kitchen. It was spotless. The house was just perfect. Uh, my sister was well taken care of. Don't, you, can, you can stop the DHS speed dial. I mean, she, she's fine. She's not scarred. She's doing great. Um, she was well taken care of. My, my, my parents' friends, my dad was working in public relations at the time, um, and so he had these really creative friends that were artists and photographers, and they, they made these big signs for the garage door, you know, welcome home. They ran a, a, a flag up the flagpole, you know, it's a boy, all this just great, great stuff. And, and, you know, why did they do that? Why did my parents' friends do that while my dad and mom were at the hospital uh, having me? Well, the reason why they did that is because they loved my parents. And you know what? They knew they were coming back. And because they loved my parents and because they knew that they were coming back, they, they, they lived a certain way. They dealt a certain way in my parents' house, knowing that they were going to return to the party. You know, I tell you that story today because I think it's instructive for us when we think about this climactic event in history, which will be the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. You know, Jesus says he's coming back to the party. And we are here while he is gone. And how we live our lives while he is gone awaiting his return should be instructed by the fact that we love him and we know he's coming back. And we're going to look at some verses today that will help us to understand uh, this truth a little more. We're going to see it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. So you've got a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. And we're going to quickly go through some verses in advance of our time of communion, which we're going to celebrate together at the end of our service today, uh, to get some perspective about life and light of Christ's coming. We're going to see two things today from this passage. Uh, The first thing we're going to see is this. We need to live in light of His coming. Live in light of His coming. Now, we see this from the first two verses in our section, verses 28 and 29 of 1 John chapter 2. And and this is what he says. He says, And now, little children, John is writing, calls his congregation little children, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
And right there in these verses, in, in verse 28, we see this declaration that Jesus is coming back. John says it not as an if statement. He says it as a when statement. When he appears at his coming. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not a ma- something that is left up to doubt. John is very certain that Jesus is going to return. And the reason why John was so certain was because from the beginning of his association with Christ, Jesus was talking about his second coming. I flip back over, you can see it on the screen, to the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Jesus, in the, right after the Last Supper, is talking with his disciples, and, and the same John that wrote the Gospel of John is the same John that writes the book of 1 John, and he remembers in John chapter 14 what Jesus said to him. Jesus says to him in John 14, "'Let not your hearts be troubled,' Jesus says. "'Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms.'" If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, Jesus is saying that he's coming again. He talked about it with his disciples. And and at this event when Jesus, after he died on the cross and after he was resurrected from the grave and after a period of several days that Jesus spent encouraging his disciples, the disciples and Jesus went and gathered out on a hillside and they watched Jesus take off into the clouds. And those events are described for us in Acts chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. These are events that John would have been at also. And Acts 1 tells us this. And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they, the disciples, were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while the disciples were gazing into heaven, as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, John was certain that Christ was going to return because he had remembered Christ talking about it. He, he had heard the angels tell him that Jesus was going to return just as Jesus left. And then further, the same John who was out on that hillside and the same John who wrote the Gospel of John is the same John who wrote the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, we have this prophecy of Jesus speaking that John records for us when he says this. Jesus says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So when John says that Jesus is a when he returns, at his coming, what he's getting at is it was a very certain fact that Christ will return to this earth. The one who bled and died for us, we will one day see face to face. And John wanted to remind his congregation of that. And this morning as we read these verses, we're reminded of it as well. But the question is, how are we going to respond when we see Jesus at his coming? What will we do? How will we respond? Well, well, this passage in, in 1 John chapter 2 gives us two different options for how a believer might respond when Jesus returns. We have every indication that this section of Scripture is talking to believers in Christ. And to believers in Christ, he says there are two ways in which we might respond at the second coming of Christ. The first one 
is that we might have confidence. It's possible when we see Christ at his second coming that we may have confidence. We may be encouraged. We may be excited to see him. It's also possible, the passage says, that we might shrink away from him in shame. Those are the two options, the two possibilities of for how we might respond when Christ returns. Rest assured, he will come back. How we respond at his second coming as believers in Jesus Christ will be in one of two ways. We'll either have confidence or we'll shrink away in shame. Well, what is it that would cause someone to have confidence at his second coming? What is it that would cause somebody to shrink away in shame at his second coming? Well, the thing that would, will cause us to have confidence at his second coming would be if we have abided in our relationship with him. If we've abided in our relationship with Christ up until his return, then we'll have confidence. Uh, Verse 29 tells us that the one who abides in Christ will have a life, a byproduct of their life is that it will have the appearance of righteousness, that we will be obeying and doing the things that Christ has called us to do. The abiding life in Christ will do that. If we want to have confidence at the second coming of Christ, we will abide in our relationship with him until the very end. Conversely, if we want to uh, shrink away in shame, I mean, who wants to do that? But when we shrink away in shame at the second coming of Christ, it's because we have not abided in our relationship with him. We have not uh, lived a life that has been characterized uh, by righteousness, waiting for his return. And you know, when when you hear that, and, and all of us want to, I believe, not shrink away from him at his second coming. All of us have a desire to not have that be a part of of the package. Um, Part of what happens is we begin thinking, you know what, Uh, what he wants from me, you know, the only way I cannot shrink away in shame at his coming is if I live perfect my life from now until he returns. If I could just live my life perfect from now until he returns, then I won't have to shrink away in shame at his coming. But here's the problem with that. We've already seen in the book of 1 John a very clear statement that negates that. Do you remember what it was? All the way back in chapter 1, what does he say? If you say that you have no sin, you are a what? Liar, and the truth is not in you. You see, living in the light is about confessing our sins, not being perfect. It's about living in light of what Christ has done to provide for our sins, not about what we have done. Uh, to make ourselves look good in God's eyes. So whatever it means to abide in Him, whatever it means to have a life characterized by righteousness, it's not that we live a perfect life. And, and thank goodness, right? If, if it depended on us living a perfect life, regardless of our best intentions and regardless of our piety, we would all shrink away in shame at His coming. Because all of us continue to sin and fall short of God's glory. But it's possible for believers in Christ to have confidence when he returns. And the reason why we can have confidence is if we have abided in our relationship with him. Not perfection, but abiding. Well, what what does that look like? What What does that mean? Let me tell you a story that maybe will help a little bit with that. Several years ago, about 10 years ago, my wife and I lived in Dallas. And while we lived in Dallas, uh, we had some friends that had two daughters. They were maybe 10 and 8 years old. And our friends were going to go away 
uh, on a trip for like eight or nine days, and they needed somebody to watch the kids. And they invited us to come and, and you know, stay at their house and watch their kids. Well, this is great. We liked their kids. We liked their house. They had a pool. It was, it was nice, kind of like a little vacation for us. Um, this is, this is, we were looking forward to this. And so we go, and we stay at the house, and we're, we're watching the kids. Well, if, if you have, you know, you guys have, have kids in the summertime, when you're watching them, you, you, you eventually want to come up with some activities for those kids to do. And so the town where we were living had this little water park, and we decided we were going to take the kids to the water park. So I loaded up the girls, and we went to the water park. We were hanging out all afternoon. We come back, and when we got back, I was tired, as you can only be tired after taking some girls to the water park for the day. As parents, you understand this feeling. So I come in, I'm tired, and I'm wet, and I just plop down on this couch in the living room. Just, just crash. You know? and, and unbeknownst to me, uh, because I hadn't really considered it. I never really owned a brand new leather sofa before. Um, but I'm sitting in a wet swimsuit on a brand new leather sofa. And I'm just, you know, racked out there for a while. And, and, and after a while, I decided to get up and go get something to drink. And when I get up, part of me is still on the couch. There is a perfect wet imprint of my backside on the seat that I just vacated. Uh, and and I, I'm panicky. You know, because I do not know how much that couch costs, but I'm quite certain it costs more than I was going to make that month. And so I, I'm like, what do I do? And so I do what anybody who finds themselves in this situation would do. I immediately try to get the couch looking perfect before they see it. So I get on the phone and I call in these places and this is what happened and this is what we do and all this stuff. And, and I'm getting all this various advice and and uh, before I, I really, you know, get too far down that road, I, I kind of pause for a moment. I'm like, wait a minute. I need to just come clean and tell the owners of this couch, before I put any chemicals on it, before I do anything, I need to talk to the owners of this couch and tell them what has happened. And so I, I, I call them, and uh, I'm talking to them, or he, they call in to check how the girl's doing. I tell them what's going on. I said, I got to tell you, I, I sat in a wet swimsuit on your brand new leather sofa, and there's part of me still there. Um, and, and they, uh, he just dies laughing and he goes, you too, everybody in our family has had that moment on that couch. He's like, don't worry about it. It eventually goes away. You just kind of rough it up. It'll be all right. And all this stuff. And, and so I was so relieved. And when, when they got home from their trip, I picked them up at the airport. And I remember when I saw them, I did not shrink away from them. When I saw them, I could freely go up and interact with them. Why? Because I had lived perfectly while they were gone. I'd been perfect house guest. No, I'd made a lot of mistakes. I just told you the one. I, there were a lot of things that had gone on. But as we had talked, I'd kept the path clean. I said, look, I, I screwed up your couch, man. I screwed it up. This is a, this is a problem. And he said, hey, don't, don't worry about it. So I, I did not have to shrink away in shame. Here's the deal. When we think about the return of Jesus to this earth and, and us living our lives now in light of his coming. Um. You know, we don't need to think, I've got to live a perfect life. You know what we need to do? We need to abide in our relationship with Him. This means that when we have sinned, we call it sin and we talk to the Lord about it. Lord, I, I, I sat on the sofa. You know, I, I did this, I did that. So that when He comes, we don't have this major catch-up moment. We're on short accounts. We don't have to shrink away. See, here's what happens. When we think about how we live in light of his second coming, if you knew that Christ was going to come back tomorrow, how would you live today? And many times how we answer that question 
we answer it like we would if we found out that the president was going to come stay at our house tomorrow. If we found out the president's going to come to your house tomorrow, what would you do today? Well, you would give your house a thorough cleaning, right? You would you'd go to work and you'd put away stuff that hadn't been put away since you moved in, and you would clean it up and you'd get it all looking good, and then when he showed up tomorrow, what would you tell him? Sorry the place is such a mess. It hasn't looked this good ever, right? Um, but, but you've gone through all of this work to clean it up. And, you know, knowing that Christ is going to return tomorrow, many times that's what we do. We think, I've got to clean up my life, you know. If I knew he's going to come back tomorrow, then today I need to give all my money away. I need to commit to go to Africa. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to, 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 to live a perfect life between now and when he comes and all this stuff. And when we go down that path, here's what happens in our mind. We're thinking, it's up to me have confidence before him when he returns. But you know where confidence is found? Confidence is found not in us. Confidence is found in him and what he has done for us. So our confidence at his second coming comes when we say, Lord, I'm just going to abide in you. I'm going to keep short accounts. I'm going to confess my sin when I commit it. I'm going to to try to do things that are pleasing to you and in your strength and in your power. I'm going to lean on you. But, but at your, when you come back, Father, it's not going to have been weeks, months, years since we talked. It's just going to be the next moment of the day. If you want confidence before the Lord, if you want to live in light of His second coming, then we'll abide in Him. But the passage goes on and tells us a second thing. The passage tells us in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, that we are to live in light of his calling. Live in light of his calling. Look at what it says in these verses. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, in these verses, we're encouraged to live in light of his calling. And what does he call us in these verses? It's interesting. It begins. He says, behold, literally, the the kind of love the Father has given to us. In the original language, that phrase, the kind of love, is, is a word that means this, something from another world, something from another country, something that has no parallel. Literally what he's saying is, behold, look at the amazing love that God has for us, a love that knows no parallel to anything else that we know. God loves us so much, and an evidence of how much God loves us is that he calls us his children says, we are called children of God. And then he, he underlines it in the, in the text three times by saying, and so we are. You know, we live in a world that wants to call people a lot of things. It's a game of semantics. You know, kids play in a sports league, and everybody gets a trophy, whether they win or not, because we just want them to feel good. And sometimes we read verses like this, and we think, you know, God just wants us to feel good. We're not really his children. He's just calling us that, just throwing us a bone, trying to encourage us a little bit. But no, that's not the case. He says, we are called children of God, and so we are. At a foundational, fundamental level of our souls, we have been transformed if we've trusted in Christ. 
into a child of God. And what does it mean to be a child of God? I think it's fascinating that he uses that phrase. You know, in other places in Scripture, we're called sons of God or daughters of God. But here we're called a child. Why does he use that language? Well, well, part of the reason why I think he uses it is that if you're called a son or a daughter, you're always a son or a daughter. You know, uh, I spent some time with my parents this weekend. I'm still their son, 38 years old, still their son. Um, you know, you're still the son or daughter of your parents. But a child, that's something we grow through. It has the, the, the connotation of development and growth. And I think the reason why we're called children of God here is that, that there's this understanding of this idea that we are becoming something else, that God is calling us from where we are to something greater. This, you know, at the moment we trust in Christ, we have things like forgiveness and, and uh, relationship with Him, and, and, and we're experiencing His love. But there's also a sense where we're developing. Right now, we live our lives in this body that cloaks a lot of what God's activity is in our lives. We still struggle, we still bleed, we still hurt, we still ache, we still hurt others. All this kind of stuff still happens right now. But, but there is a time where we will grow through that period and we'll appear as something else. Or we'll be translated into eternity where our identity will be fully known. Because we're still in process, that's why it says at the end of verse 1 of chapter 3 that the world does not know us and it did not know him. See, there's a part of our identity as a child of God that is obscured in this world today. It's obscured from those that live around us. It's obscured by others in the church. It's obscured to ourselves. At times, we don't feel like a child of God because we're well acquainted with our shortcomings. But what he tells us is, though it's obscured right now, one day it will not be. Verse 2, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. I love that phrase. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There will come a time where we will be translated into eternity and we will no longer be shackled by a body that breaks down. We'll no longer be shackled by a body that has a temptation to sin. We no longer will be in a position to hurt others because we will be translated into eternity in a glorified body as Christ is now, we will one day be. You see, we've been called a child of God. We've been promised a translation into something better. And we are asked to live in light of that. Look at what it says in verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What's the appropriate response to our knowledge that he's coming back and that he has called us his sons and he is transitioning us into eternity? The appropriate response is to live a life abiding in him in a life that is characterized by purity. That's the appropriate response for us. You think about it in terms of like a wedding. You know, two people get engaged today to get married at Christmas. They've got five months between today and their wedding day. How are they going to behave over those five months? Well, if they're smart and if they really love each other, they're going to behave over those five months in a fidelity relationship to themselves. They're not going to go out and try to start a new relationship with someone who's not their future spouse. They're not going to do things that will intentionally hurt the one that they're committing their lives to. They're going to live this five-month engagement period 
as they're going to live their married life. And in the same way, when you think about our relationship with Christ, we're living in an engagement period right now. We have been promised this translation, but we're living our lives right now before then. And in light of this calling, in light of the fact of what's going to happen out here, we should live our lives in fidelity to the Lord now. We should live our lives characterized by righteousness, verse 29, by purity, verse 3. Because that's where we're headed. We're headed to an eternal life, and we can experience that now as we trust in Him, as we abide in Him. You see, oftentimes we look at this truth about the second coming of Christ, and and we deal with it only on an intellectual level. We have, have done an incredible disservice the Word of God when we do that. You see, the second coming of Christ is not about us just understanding that He's coming back. The second coming of Christ and our knowledge of that is so that we would live our lives to not shrink away in shame at His coming. That when He comes, we can have confidence because we are abiding in Him and we have a relationship with Him right now. And when we think about taking this now and, and, and walking away from this, I want us to, to, to do something. And it's something we don't do very often. But I want us to take uh, some vows. I want us to, to, to do this. And, and, you know, if you're not comfortable with this, don't worry about it. But if, 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 you, if, if these words I'm getting ready to share, if they express a desire of your heart, I'd encourage you just to, to repeat them back after me, similar to at a wedding when somebody would repeat a vow. What we're doing as we do this is we're declaring our intentions to the Lord in light of His coming, how we will live our lives now. So I'll say the phrase, and then you can repeat it after me. I am a child of God. I am not now who I will one day be. I will live in light of His calling. I will be faithful today, knowing that he comes tomorrow. This time, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as they come up and prepare to lead us in a closing song, I want to say a few words about communion. This is a fifth Sunday. On fifth Sundays, we celebrate communion here at Wildwood, and today we're going to be doing that. You might think it's kind of, a, of, a, of an interesting Sunday to celebrate communion with in, in a message talking about the second coming of Christ. But the reality is there's a, there's a great tie between the second coming of Christ and our taking of this meal. You see, uh, when Jesus gathered with his disciples at the Last Supper, he took bread and wine and he gave them this symbolic significance. He said, this is my body and this is my blood, and every time you take these elements... From now on, you will have a memory of the death that I'm getting ready to die, Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, for you. And as we sit here today on this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we partake of these elements as a reminder of what Christ has done for us. But Jesus said something really interesting to his disciples after he said that. After Jesus says that, he says to his disciples, you know what, there will come a time when I'll come back and I'll have this meal with you in my Father's kingdom. 
at the Last Supper, Jesus makes a dinner date with his disciples. He says, we will eat this meal together one day. You know what? As we celebrate the, last, the Lord's Supper today, um, we can do so with, a, with an acknowledgement and an awareness that one day we will have this meal with him in his presence when he returns to this earth. And so as you take the elements today, I want you to take them and, and be mindful of the fact that when we one day we'll eat this meal with him in a physical way. At this time... Uh, I'll invite the guys to come and begin to pass the elements. You're going to get both the bread and the cup. I'd invite you to hang on to them um, as, as we are, are singing. And at the appropriate time, I'll instruct all of us to take them together. Uh, at this time, would you join us in, in singing? Mm-hmm.